If you turn with me to the passage in which today's teaching is based, it comes from Matthew chapter 13. And I'll be reading uh, two sets of passages uh, from verses 3 through 9, and then we're going to go from 18 to 23. Matthew chapter 13. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Now we're going to go to verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And this is God's word. If you've been with us for the last several months, uh, we've been really walking through a series where we've been surveying the entirety of the, of the Bible. And we started in the Garden of Eden. We talked about Adam and Eve, the crossing of the Red Sea, David and Goliath, lots of stories that we grew up, amazing stories that taught us about the power of God, what it means to trust God. Uh, and the Bible is definitely not less than that. But can it be more? is the question. Did we learn everything there is to learn about what's in these amazing passages that we read when we were children? Today we're going to look at a parable. We're going to look at a parable of Jesus Christ. Now what's a parable? <clears throat> uh, a parable is a story with a punchline. It's got an ironic twist or a series of ironic twists. And those twists in the day of the listener who first heard the parable, in their day, it would shock them. It would surprise them in their day because of those ironic twists. But the main lessons that come out of the narrative are as applicable to us today as they were in the listeners during their time. And uh, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells this famous parable, it's a very famous parable, about seeds. It's a very simple story. A farmer takes seeds, scatters it, and those seeds fall, fall on four different types of soil. And that's pretty much the story. Uh, and, and in verse 9, he says, uh, he says this, He who has ears, let him hear. Now, he explains this parable in verses 18 to 23. And the explanation is pretty straightforward. 
I don't know why we would need to spend a half hour, 35 minutes on this, right? It's pretty straightforward. But really what he's saying is this. Verse 19, when anyone hears about the kingdom, when anyone hears God's word, what that means is each of the four types of soil represent four different types of listeners. He's talking about us. The soil is us. Each of us fall into one of the four different categories of people who hear. Now look, the kingdom of God comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing the word. And so what's Jesus saying? He's saying this. We're going to begin by saying this. Worldly leaders, they, they come with strength. They come with force. They come like a hammer. But Jesus is saying this. He's saying, I come with a voice. I come with a word. I come like a seed. So you have to listen to me. You have to take my words. You have to take my promises. You have to take these truths, and you have to plant them like a seed deep into your heart. In other words, you have to take it in. Take in what I'm saying. Let it shape you. And so, very simple. Three points. The seed, the soil, planting it in, planting it deep. The seed, the soil, planting the seed deeply. Okay, first, we're going to talk about the seed. The seed is what? The seed is the voice of God. Parables are very simple. This parable is very simple. A sower goes out to plant seeds, and the seeds fall. Four different types of soil, and that's it. Verses 18 to 19, Jesus explains it, and he says, Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, in other words, the secret to the kingdom of God is what? The word of God, the voice of God. Famous preacher, John Piper, he says this, You want to hear God speak to you? A lot of people say, I want, God's, I want to hear God's voice. I want to hear God speak to me. Then read your Bible out loud. The secret to the kingdom of God is his voice. It's like a seed. The seed is small. A seed is light. It comes very, very quietly, very subtly. It's not like a hammer. A hammer does what? A hammer is heavy. A hammer comes loudly. A seed comes organically. Inside out. Plant it deep, out comes fruit. A hammer doesn't do that. A hammer comes loudly. A hammer smashes everything. So a hammer comes outside until you get in right? A seed transforms internally. It goes deep. The deeper, the better. A seed transforms internally. A hammer transforms externally. A seed is very unassuming on the outside, very quiet on the outside. But inside, what's going on? Change is happening. And that change is very dynamic. It's like an engine. That change is happening through conversion, through chemical changes that are taking place, converting the seed into what? An oak tree, a redwood, the largest trees in the world all begin with what? A very single seed. A hammer, on the other hand, is very present on the outside, very visible, audible. You can feel it on the outside. Change is happening through subversion, not conversion. Change is happening through might, through power. For a seed, because change is internal, a seed has to be buried very deep, deep inside. 
What does that mean? God's Word. His Word has to be heard. It has has tremendous power, but it's only going to change you. It's only going to shape you if you plant it deeply. It's got to go into fertile soil, and it's got to go deep. A seed by nature is weak. A seed by nature is small. But inside that seed, there is immense potential, immense power. I often come across skeptics. I'm a pastor, so I'm going to meet a lot of different types of people. And I often come across people who are very skeptical of the gospel. And they often say to me, I mean, if Jesus is real, he should appear today and do miracles right now, today. He should take all the suffering in the world and do away with it right now. It's a lot, not, nothing new. John the Baptist, John the Baptist is in prison in the Bible, in the Old Testament, John the Baptist has been waiting for Jesus. And he's in prison, and he questions, basically he questions the same thing. Why am I suffering? Why do I suffer? Why am I here? Where is God? Where is Jesus when I suffer? And Jesus responds, not right now. That's not how the kingdom of God works. That's not how I come. That's not the purpose of my miracles. And I don't come through power And I don't come uh, through might. I don't come through subversion. I come through weakness. I come through vulnerability. I come through brokenness. I'm not like a hammer. I'm like a seed. And if you bury my words deeply, everything, you know, um, if you bury bury my words deeply, it may make a little bit of sense. But there's tremendous dynamic power within if you bury it deeply. The fact is, even the largest trees, the largest redwoods need everything that they need for life. Everything that any tree needs for life is contained in that one little seed. That's the gospel. What's the gospel? Jesus Christ is the high king. He is the true king, the ultimate king. He comes in weakness. He comes in vulnerability. He becomes homeless. He's born in a manger. He suffers. He dies. He's buried. Why? So that through that death and suffering and burial, you will see his true power activated. And it's not despite the weakness, not despite the vulnerability and suffering and death, but it's through that weakness through that vulnerability and suffering and death that his true power, the true kingliness and kingly power of Jesus is revealed. And so Jesus is saying, a person whose heart takes in the gospel, somebody who truly gets the gospel, transforms inside out. You plant it deep, and so inside, dynamic change. You may not even see it in the beginning, but it has to. Eventually it comes out. There's fruit. There's power in your life. It's so dynamic. You know what the word dynamic means? I mean, engineers, engineers here, you understand the word dynamic? There's a power. There's a flow. There's an engine. And it's so dynamic. Christians have changed from the inside out. So dynamic. So dynamic was that power. People called it the new birth. Born again. The Apostle Paul calls it the new creation. You think suffering The presence of suffering means the absence of God. God is not there. God is not capable or able. If you think that, what that means is that the word of God has not been planted deep. It hasn't gone in. That's what that means. 
And that's going to lead you to confusion and complaining and doubting, cowering, anger, bitterness. Jesus says this, you need to hear my words. You need to take in my promises. You need to let the gospel shape you, change your life. Because the one who does see Jesus, the one who enters the kingdom of God, there's dynamic power that's unleashed in his life. And so the purpose of this parable is this. It's to ask this question. Have you taken in the word of God in your life in a way that is transforming your life? Is that dynamic power of God's spirit residing in your life, producing an engine of change, dynamic change in your life, producing joy where there should be bitterness, producing courage where there should be fear, producing humility where there is, where, where there was at one point tremendous pride and arrogance. Do you get it? Because if you do, that power in you is going to change every aspect of your life. It's going to change your decisions and your motives and your desires. Everything that you love, all of your loves, everything that you pursue, your lifestyle, your sex life, what you take in, what you drink, what you do in a day. But there's a problem. We talked about the seed. The problem is the soil. The soil is our ears. Jesus says, take heed how you hear. Because the parable shows four different ways that the gospel is taken in. And because the seed is small and yet powerful, because it's, the seed is unassuming and yet transforming, it's very, very easy to miss. It's very, very easy to reject the seed. It's very, very easy for the seed not to go deep. It's very, very easy for the seed to that you assume it's gone deep and it's not gone deep enough. It has to go deeper. It's why we need to consider over and over and over again. It's why we need to think about the gospel again. It's why we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's, it's why we need to pursue it. It's why we need to let it shape us. It's why we need to ask ourselves every day, how should the gospel be shaping my life? Is the gospel shaping my life? How is it shaping my life today? It's why we need to apply the gospel every day. Jerry Bridges, famous writer, Christian writer, he says this, you need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day but we don't. And it's why so many people in the church today are merely religious but don't get the gospel. It's why so many people think they get it, but they've easily turned from it. They've rejected it. They miss it. We're going to briefly walk through each type of soil. And uh, each soil uh, in this uh, parable is an example of how the gospel is taken in and so this parable is really designed for us to ask what question? Which of the four soils am I? And if you're not, I don't want you to sit there and think about which of the four soils is he, which of the four soils is this person who should be hearing this sermon. You are here. God has brought you here. What that means is God is asking you this question, which of the four soils are you? The first soil, verses, 14, verses 4 and 19, right? I'm going to briefly read this first right? Uh, verse 4, as he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. 
hard path, a road, right? Verse 19, he says this. He says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, doesn't take it in, the evil one comes and snatches it away. What was sown in his heart, this is the seed that's fallen along the path. Verse 4 represents the hardened heart. It's the person to whom the gospel is appealing. It's appealing to me. It's enlightening to me, but it doesn't penetrate deeply. It doesn't change you. It doesn't shape you deeply. Not in the areas that are non-negotiable in your life. We all have that. Areas in our lives that are non-negotiable. That you don't want anybody to come in and shape or change. And so really the gospel is, a, is, is for that person, is just a supplement to their life agenda. They have an agenda, and that agenda is the non-negotiable. And the gospel can either help me, and I'll accept it, fulfill me, and then I'll take it. But if it doesn't, if it challenges it, if it counters it, I'll reject it. It's just a supplement, like a vitamin. It's there to just help me improve, to give me a boost. So I go to church, I'm going to read the word, there's contact. And you're responsible for that contact. In fact, the kingdom of God is a treasure. You're responsible for that treasure. But there's no deep impact because your heart has hardened. So at best, the gospel is going to make you feel good on a Sunday. It might even make you feel good at community group. Listen, if you have eight or ten people in a group of people, and they just love each other, and you just happen to fall into that mix, you're going to feel good. That's not the Holy Spirit. You're going to feel pretty good. If they're just loving on you and feeding you and taking turns, making meals, and, you, and it tastes good and it feels good, and you're reading about stuff about how much God loves you, that feels great. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the Spirit. There may be contact, but is there impact? Your relationships, your lifestyle, areas that are most important to you for this person is not affected because this person has a hard heart. And so their career is godless. Their marriage is godless. Children, godless. The way they raise their children, godless. The way you spend your money, godless. The way you, spend, the way you do your sex life, godless. You're blind to your self-blindness. I remember this friend. Um, a lot, many years ago, uh, I had a friend who sold his company, and he, he basically came to a very decent fortune, uh, something like 10 or $15 million dollars, right, uh, at a very young age. And so he, what did he do? He kept working because he was pretty much bored. And uh, he came to uh, the company that I was at, and when he was interviewed, this is around 10 years ago, he interviewed at this company. The CIO of the company pretty much said this to him. I want you to know that the person that had this role before you, I fired him. And I want you to know that the person that was there before him in this role, I fired him too. And I want you to know that the person that was before him, I fired him too. What do you think about that? And my friend responded, I mean, he's got, what does he have to lose, right? He said, uh, ah, very interesting that you're trying to intimidate me and you're mildly threatening me when the only common element there in all your problems is you, right? And somehow he got hired, <laughs> Right? Our hard heart says, it's probably not me. A hard heart says, it's probably not me. You need to take the gospel in deep. You need to let the gospel shape you. Have you ever let the gospel shape you? You know how you know? It's because you come across something, a circumstance, 
where you may have impulsively and naturally responded a particular way, and you are inclined to act that way again. But something kind of hooks you and says, maybe you shouldn't. It makes it, it's like a millisecond of pause. That's that reaction or response that comes after that. That is the test as to how hard your heart is. That's it. Have you ever experienced the dynamic power of the gospel? How do you know? It's because the gospel becomes more than just a belief. It's more than just a morale boost. It's shaping your view of reality. The Bible may sound arcane. It may feel uh, old and ancient. But the thing is, are the truths of what's said here, the interpretation of the world and its brokenness, how we got here, and how to be redeemed and rescued, is it true? You don't come to the gospel because you feel good. I'm a pastor. There are days I feel horrible. There are days I ask myself, how did I get here? There are days I sit there and lament about it. You don't come to the gospel because it fulfills you. You come to the gospel because it's real, because it's true. You can't walk away from it. It's because it's shaping your view of reality, so it's shaping your decisions. It's shaping how you view your circumstances. It becomes your reality. On one hand, the gospel, it brings you down. You know why? Because it tells you all the things you don't want to hear about yourself. It's going to convince you of your sin. But on the other hand, it's going to bring you life because it's going to convince you about the other thing that you just, it's too good to be true. And that is the grace of God and his deep love for you in his son, Jesus. On one hand, the gospel is going to threaten you. It's going to threaten the things that matter most to you, all the things that you desire, all the things that you treasure. But on the other hand, it's going to compel you to surrender and to obey. Why? Because it's real. Because it's true. If that hasn't happened in your life, your heart is hard. Your heart is hard. That's why we get swept away. Jesus says the bird will come and just snatch it away. That's why. The second type of soil is verses 5 and 6. Um, you'll see here in verses 5 and 6. Let me read it here. Uh, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. And he explains this in verse 20. He says, The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a, a short time. So when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Now, Jesus is saying, beware of that shallow heart. The gospel's gone in, but not very deep. Shallow. So the gospel's moving you. There's something going on, but it hasn't changed you. Here, the gospel brings you joy, and you experience it. There's joy there. The joy excites you. You're moved beyond that point of belief. Your eyes have been opened, and you see your sin, and you see God's grace and his great love, but it's shallow. It hasn't gone much further than that. No roots have been formed. It hasn't gone deep enough to form roots. So when the heat comes, now, remember, Jesus is talking in Middle Eastern times, in the Middle East, ancient Middle East, no air conditioning, right? And so um, the heat is just scorching. When that heat comes, what happens? Plants, there's no life. It's a desert. It kills it. The heat will kill it. 
So as soon as trouble or suffering because of the word, he says, maybe persecution comes, you're going to lapse. You quickly fall away. You quickly turn away. You quickly neglect. The power that you experienced, that joy, that brought you that joy, it's gone. It dissipates. What's an example of the heat? And you see this when it comes to agendas that are not being fulfilled. It's easy to go to Jesus for help. It's easy to go to Jesus for improvement. But if you don't come to Jesus as king, then you're coming to Jesus with demands. Essentially, you have an agenda. Something else actually is the king. What is suffering? What is heat? What is persecution? Because sometimes because we hold to certain values, what happens is you get passed over. You might get passed over socially, right? You, get, you might get passed over in your career because you're committed to a life of integrity. You might get passed over because other people are quickly stepping over other people to get ahead, and you're trying to help people get ahead. So naturally, people are going to get ahead. That's what's going to happen. That's a form of persecution. You're getting passed over because you don't quite connect with certain people because they lack integrity and you have, or you're developing integrity. That's a form of persecution, at least in our world. In our world here, people don't kill you physically, right, for, for being a believer. They'll disenfranchise you socially. They'll consider you a certain type of person. They'll dismiss you or your thinking or your values or your lifestyle choices, your decisions. And it could be just an eyebrow raise. It could be a social distancing. It could be a lot of things, right? But what is heat? What is suffering? And uh, I've shared this in the past, but suffering is like the fist hitting a cup, right? You take a fist with force, hits the cup. That's suffering. And what gets knocked over and whatever comes out of that cup right? The fist, a lot of people say, well, what happened here? If I were to ask you what happened here, you'll say, well, uh, the fist, it's the fist's fault. It hit the cup and it knocked it over, right? But what you're ignoring is that whatever was in the cup was always there. And so your reactions, your responses to that fist hitting the cup, what comes out was always there. So if there was, if there was anger, you can blame it on the fist, but the anger was always there, you see. Um, you can, if there was fear, cowardice, you can blame it on the fist, but there was always fear in there to begin with. When the fist hits the cup, it reveals what's in the cup. When suffering and heat, persecution come, it reveals what's in the heart. So if there was orange juice in the cup, orange juice would have come out. Water in the cup, water would have come out. Our suffering, our heat reveals what's in the cup. If you complain because your agenda is not being fulfilled and you're angry, it's not the heat or the suffering that made you angry. It reveals the anger that was always there. Our failed agendas, what do they do? They reveal the deeper kings that are already rooted in our hearts. The real kings that are apart from the Lord of the universe that often take over the throne in our hearts. Suffering reveals the true functional kings in our lives. And so the gospel moves the shallow heart but may not have truly convicted the deep-rooted sins. Not the overt sins, but the covert sins. The true kings that is sitting there, rooted in your heart. And when it's rooted, I mean, the roots are very, very deep. 
aren't they? I mean, they extend into a lot of different types of life choices. It's not just linear. It's very, very web-like. It's convoluted and tangled, even in good things. You ever, I mean, if you're a homeowner, you know what happens when crabgrass enters into your lawn. When crabgrass enters into your lawn, it pretty much starts to take over your lawn. It starts out as a very simple seed. And what happens is the, under, the network that resides underneath is very, very extensive. And after a while, you can't tell what's good and what's bad. You would need to bring in an expert, somebody from the outside, to number one, diagnose it, and then root it out. You see, you need help. Here's a person in a church, desperately wants to be in. But the problem is they don't feel in. So what do they do? They compare themselves with other people. They complain about other people. This church is exclusive. These people are elitist. And they gossip and they create discord. What are they doing? You know what they're doing? They're trying to save themselves. That's what they're doing. When they're called out regarding their sins, how do they respond? They get defensive. These are all litmus tests. If you're paying attention, these are all litmus tests. They get very defensive, and they start to gather people, and they gossip. You know what this person said? Do you know what this person did? How dare they? They're trying to save themselves. God demonstrates tremendous grace by providing a safe place where we can address sins, repent of our sins, but because that fist hit that cup, we start to react. We start to react. We're angry. We're threatening. We're backbiting. We're gossiping. Lots of people come to the church. I can share this because lots of people come to the church because uh, it fills that need to be accepted. It fills your social needs. But if they've never repented of their deep-rooted idols... The moment they stop feeling fulfilled by the church, what happens? All of a sudden, this great entity in their lives, this great body in their lives becomes their enemy. You see that? The gospel never appears like that. That's the hammer way of doing things, backbiting, gossip. That's the earthquake way of doing that. That's the wrath way of handling that. And you know, you, want to, you have to understand this. That's natural. That's how we are naturally. That is every one of us and our natural inclination is to go in that direction if the gospel is merely shallow, if it hasn't gone deep. The third, this one's scary. This is verse 7. The third uh, type of soil. I'm going to read verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Right? Thorns which grew up and choked the plants. And he explains this in verse 22, and he says this, The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. I love that. The deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Now, this one's scary. Um, because it's very easy to see the first two types of soil, and you say, oh, well, they represent people who are probably not believers. They're probably not Christians. But it's very difficult to see the third one. In this soil, this seed springs up. They're committed to Christ, but there's no fruit. There's no power. Because they've given in to the deceits 
of wealth. They've given in to the, to the enticement of success. And so they're living in anxiety. And they're living in just, I have to work and work and work to get there. They're living among these thorns that have kind of uh, rooted into their lives as well. And so even though they've sprung up and they want to be fruitful, they're committed, they want to be fruitful, the result is they are unfruitful. The result is the same. They're committed to Jesus at first, and they may see their sin and they see God's love, and they embrace it. They want that. But they haven't relinquished the areas where the thorns are. It's like... Um, Jesus, when he purchases us, the Bible says that Jesus has taken us in, purchased us. He didn't get a mortgage and said, you know, I'm just going to pay a little bit at a time until I own you. He didn't say, uh, I'm going to rent until I find something better. He purchased us, right? He was ransomed for us. He bought us at great price, right? And so he gave up the kingdom for his people. And so he purchased us, and uh, uh, we say, well, it, the house isn't ready yet. Let me fix it up for you before you move in. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not going to just wait till you get fixed up. I'm going to move in today. I want to move in right now, and I'm going to start to build. So he buys you, and then what he does is he moves into your heart, and he starts to clean you out little by little, room by room, right? There's conversion, and then there's uh, transformation, a shaping, right? Growth sanctification. That's what he's doing. And so, but the thing is, uh, as an owner, you say, well, wait a second, wait a second. I know you bought me, and I, I, know you, I, I know you own this, but not this room. You see, this room is very special to me. Uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to board it up so that I make sure you don't go in there. That's what, that's what this, this uh, soil is like, that you, where you haven't relinquished every area of your life. So worries are the fist that hit that cup. And what it yields is an unfaithfulness and an unfruitfulness. You're committed to Jesus at first. You're serving. You're reading. You are doing that church thing. But your need to feel acceptable, your need to feel like a man, your need to, to gain the love of certain types of people in your life, your need to say, yes, you know, I have status. I have power. I have wealth. It's that need to win. It's that need to earn people's love. And so you resort to your good looks. You resort to your sexual appeal. You resort to your wealth, to gaining and earning more wealth. You resort to earning success. I love it when people, you know, when they talk to their pastor, uh, people who talk to their pastor, they're always humbler, right? Uh, how you doing? They say, oh, you know, I'm learning. I'm growing. Uh, I'm learning about, uh, I've, I've, you know, I'm just growing in my career. I'm just, it's steady. You know, but it's interesting because when you sit with them in community groups, sometimes they hear them talking. A lot of times, by the way, whoever is in my community, I'm not talking about you, okay? I'm, I'm serious, I'm not talking about you. But I've definitely seen this among people who, who sit in their community groups and they'll say, you know, uh, how's your job going? Oh, man, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm, I'm, I'm about to get there. I'm about to, I'm about to arrive. You hear that, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm an audible learner, so I, I pick up these things um, and uh, it's easy. What, what I conclude here is that we are, even in the church, we are so works-oriented. We're constantly working to earn people's acceptance, people's love. 
Even in a community group setting, which is founded, it's supposed to be based on grace. We'll sit there and talk about our jobs, and all we're revealing is how hard we're working to show that we've arrived. When the gospel says, you already arrived. You're already there. You can't more arrive. God doesn't say, well, you're great. I bought you with a price, and you're great, and you have a great career, so I bought you. I'm going to pay more. That's not what Jesus did. You see, that's not what he did. If anything, there's greater pity. There's greater, there's a deeper compassion for people who are still stuck in that. Now, um, we call that a duplicitous heart. That's the duplicitous heart. If the first one's a hard heart, the second one's a shallow heart, this one is a duplicitous heart. This one's a, conflict, a conflicted heart. So other things, other desires are constantly crowding out Jesus. And, and uh, as a result, no one's life is changing through you because of your unfruitful character. And, and friends, this is not a parable that's intended to condemn you. This is Jesus' way of inviting you, bringing you back. You know what he's inviting you to do? He's inviting you to examine yourself. In verse 18, he begins. He says, I'm going to explain the parable. Listen. Verse 9, at the end of the parable, what does he say? He who has ears, I'm inviting you to hear. Will you listen? Let the gospel soften that hard heart of yours. Let the gospel penetrate that shallow heart of yours. Let the gospel bring reality a deeper reality than the reality you see. Let it penetrate with a deeper reality to shape that duplicitous, conflicted heart of yours so that you could be fertile. And if you have bad ground, if you have bad soil, it's just bad soil. You can't make bad soil into good soil. Something has to go in deep and change that soil, right? He's saying for that duplicitous heart, you need, you need to go deep, the gospel has to go deep. It's got to integrate with that soil. You know, at heart, a duplicitous heart is what? Pulled by all different anxieties and fears and deceits, false beliefs, false values. This is how to grow. This is how you get there. This is how you bear fruit. So a, a duplicitous heart is not integrated. It's disconnected. Disconnected from the real reality that gives you life. The real truth that saves you. Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you to let the truth of the gospel move your heart in a way regarding your sin so that it will go all the way in so that you will avoid works in your life that seem like they're giving you life but are actually killing you. It's like drinking salt water when you're thirsty. And move you towards receiving grace, a real grace that might seem like you're giving away your life, but it's actually going to give you real life real joy, real peace in obedience, and then you'll become fruitful. That's what he's saying. How? How do you get it? How's it going to go deep? How's it going to get in there? The job of the soil is not to get rid of the birds that are coming to swipe the seeds away. It's not to get rid of the rocks, right, that create the shallowness. It's not, the job of the soil is not to get rid of the thorns, right? The, the soil can't do that. You can't do that. You can't sit there and say, okay, the solution is I am not going to go and do this type of lifestyle anymore. You think that's going to save you? You think it's that easy? If it was that easy, Jesus, Jesus, you wouldn't need Jesus, right? And how many of us have made resolutions in our lives in the past? 
and how those resolutions worked out. It's because those thorns are deeply rooted. That crabgrass, that spiritual crabgrass is deeply rooted. That's the job of the farmer. That's the job of the sower. That's the job of the father. You've got to give yourself to the gardener. Don't try to replace the gardener, right? Read the word. You've got to pray. You've got to engage in community in that way. You have to submit to the Bible. Submit to God's word. Hear it and submit to it. Serve in the church. Immerse yourself in the truths of the gospel. Okay? Is that it? We good? We're going to pray? Go home? Catch the game? I'm going to catch the game later, but we're going to go home, right? Heck no. If you've been here at Metro, you know we can't end any sermon like that, right? We can't do that. That's why I always add like five or ten more minutes to every sermon, right? So that's what we're going to do. Because if that's the way you've been doing your life, there's the reason why you're still, life is so pathologically problematic, right? Because if you do that, you're just going to become one of those, how do you think those soil, that soil, those three types, how do you think they got there? It's because that's all they tried to do to solve their problems. That's why. The seed of God's word will not go deep. It's just going to discourage you if you think the solution is, I'm just going to pray harder, serve church better, I'm just going to read more about the gospel, engage in adult Sunday school, right? If that's all you're doing, it's just a supplement. You get it? You're still just supplementing your life. You're taking vitamins to cure cancer. You understand? It doesn't work that way. How does the seed of the gospel go deep? Let's look at the fourth soil, okay? Verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Verse 23, he says this, But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and gets it, understands it. He gets what it's about. And that soil is fertile. This person hears it and understands it. It's deeply, he hears it, and he takes it in. Deeply penetrating voice of God. It's not enough just to know that, ah, Jesus is king. Jesus is God. Jesus became weak. That powerful high king became the powerless slave. That's moving. It might get you to the point of shallowness, right? But that's not going to, what do you need? You need to know that the powerful became powerless for you. It's got to become personal. Your sin has to become personal. Your inability, I am one of those three soils, and I am unable to chase away the thorns. I am unable to chase away the rockiness. I'm unable to chase away the birds. I'm incapable of doing this. I'm helpless to this. That sin has to be personal. Those deep-rooted, covert sins that we were talking about, the deep-rooted desires, I am incapable of, of ridding myself of these things on my own. God's love has to become deeply personal. John chapter 12. Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and everybody is hailing him as king. You know what he says? 
Immediately after, he says this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, a seed, falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What's he saying here? Everyone's hailing him as king. He says this, I am the seed. And in order for that seed to penetrate the hard soil, the shallow soil, the thorny soil, it needs to go all the way down and die. It needs to go all the way. It needs to die and be buried. My kingdom is going to flourish not through strength, not through subversion, not despite weakness and death, but through weakness and death. Not by force and smashing, but by getting smashed. Smashed to the ground. Now, Jesus didn't do this. We do this and we say, hey, that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger, right? And we, we say things like that to ourselves. We say, in other words, what we're saying is, this suffering, it's meaningful because it's going to shape me to have better character. But is that what Jesus did? Is that why Jesus came? To increase his character? Jesus is holy. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is the most perfect, obedient person that ever walked the earth. So why would he come to get smashed? Why would he come to suffer? He did it for us, for our perfection, because we are incapable. So somebody who was able had to come and take our place. Somebody had to come and take our imperfection. Somebody had to come and give us his righteousness. That's why he came. He did it for our salvation. He did it for our righteousness. That we, the scattering of the many seeds, we are his fruit. You see that? How do you get this, right? The knowledge of that is not going to be enough. You have a hard heart. Some of you are saying, well, I think I'm the first soil. On the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out in anguish. In pain, he's crying out. Physical pain, he's crying out. But he says, you have forsaken me. The ultimate pain. Jesus Christ took the hardness. God had turned his face from his son. You know what that means? God had become hardened against his son. And yet Jesus Christ remained soft. He's trusting God. He says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He's reciting Psalm 22 which was the most prophetic psalm about Jesus' suffering. He's remembering all the while God is turning his face from him, hard, the people have hardened to him. Jesus is literally on hard ground, hard hearts everywhere. The heart of God is hard. You see that? And yet, he's reciting scripture. He's doing quiet time on the cross. He's reciting scripture. He's fulfilling scripture. And he did it for you, knowing that, knowing that Jesus remains soft while the world and while God rejected him. That should move you. That should soften you. Does it move you? Does it soften you? You have heat. You have heat in your life. On the cross, the wrath of God, the pelting wrath of God, the heat of God is pouring out on Jesus. That means he took the heat, he took the poison, he took the suffering, he took the persecution, and yet he remained faithful. When that fist 
the ultimate fist of God's wrath hit Jesus, struck Jesus, what happened? What came out? You know what came out? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Into your hands I commit my spirit. The gospel is so rooted deep that even the punishment for the penalty of our sins, pouring out on Jesus, it actually made him more faithful. In fact, Isaiah 53 says what? It actually made him glad. So he's sitting there saying, give it to me, more, 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 until every last drop of God's wrath was poured out. And he swallowed it whole. And he was glad. That's the faithfulness of Jesus. We think Jesus said, whenever we come to Jesus in confession, we act like Jesus is saying, do you know how miserable and pathetic you are? But yeah, I died for you. I purchased you. You came as part of the package, you know, and so I'll forgive you because I have to. You think that's how he came? Come on, that's ridiculous. None of us are sitting here. If that's what you thought, you wouldn't be here, right? You know the Spirit is speaking into your life, and you know that Jesus sat there weeping, enduring, persevering, and persecuted. He was glad. And that's what drove his faithfulness. Filled with forgiveness. Filled with love. Trusting in the Father. That means you can trust him deeply, more, root the gospel in the midst of your covert sins. You have thorns in your life. You're feeling choked by anxieties, choked by your doubts. Jesus got the thorns. Jesus got a crown of thorns. Do you know that on the cross you're dying of suffocation? You're bleeding to death. All the while you're choking to death. You, know, you understand that? Medically, that's what's going on. Clinically, that's what's going on. Physiologically, that's what's going on. And yet even before the cross, he was at Gethsemane. And Jesus, knowing everything that's about to happen to him, he says this, my soul is troubled to the point of death. What he's saying is what? I'm choking. I'm choking. It's overwhelming me. But then he says, not my will, yours be done. He remained faithful and fruitful. You are his fruit. The church, God's people, is his fruit. Knowing that Jesus was faithful for you, he bore the thorns for you, focused on you, remaining focused and not duplicitous. He wasn't sitting there at any point in time on the cross saying, okay, should I show these guys what I can do? That's not what he did. Always focused for you, never wavering. And yet he became disconnected, forsaken, disintegrated. Why? So that you will be connected to God reconciled to God, integrated to God, wholly, organically experiencing the dynamic power of God's Spirit working in you. That's going to give you power to cling to Him, stay with Him. You got rocks? Jesus was buried behind one. You got thorns? Jesus bore a crown of thorns for you. Jesus Christ was the most fertile soil. Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers, but what? He delights in the Lord. 
His delight is in the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like what? A tree planted by streams of water, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does is fruitful. That was Jesus Christ. Always soft, always faithful, always trusting yet enduring the hardness we deserved, enduring the heat we deserved, enduring the rejection, that's the hardness we deserved, enduring the disintegration, enduring the thorns we deserved, dying the death that we deserved for you. The world's going to say, you got to try harder to remove your guilt, to be acceptable, do whatever it takes, sleep with whoever you need to sleep with, Work as hard as you can while you're young. Stay beautiful. Steal, cheat, lie, whatever you can do to get it. Whose voice are you letting into your life? Whose voice is rooted into your heart? Whose voice is rooted into your desire? Does it generate power for you? Is it generating courage for you? How is it shaping you? Because you will become the sum of what you worship you will become the sum. If you're overtaken by greed, you will eventually become greed. So you can't even recognize what greed is in your life anymore because you have become greed. That's what happens. Will you listen to the voice of God? That gentle and patient and loving and gracious and kind and inviting and restoring voice of God and let that inviting voice embrace it planted into the deepest part of the things that you desire that are ruining you. And let's see what grows out of that. Give it six months. Give it 60 years. See what it does in your life. It will not only bear salvation, it will bear repentance, and your life will be shaped in the pattern of salvation being born through weakness and suffering and brokenness and death so that you will burst out of that seed will be eternity and joy and peace and flourishing and thriving. Let's pray.